is actually the first psalm written. It's not the first numerically, but it is the first and therefore the oldest psalm. This psalm is a prayer written by Moses. The caption reads, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. This title, The Man of God, is important for us to consider. It lets us know straight out the gate that he was a prophet and that it was the Moses who wrote this psalm. We see this title in other places in the Bible referring to prophets. 1 Samuel 2.27 uh, refers to Eli this way. 1 Samuel 9.6 referring to Samuel. 1 Kings 12.22 referring to Shemaiah. 1 Kings 13.1 to an unnamed prophet. 1 Kings 17.18 Elijah and 2 Kings 4.7 Elisha. Of course, we know from Exodus that Moses was a prophet. He was the man to whom the Lord first spoke to through a burning bush. And this same Moses led God's people out of the bonds of slavery in Egypt to the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years until God finally showed them the promised land. During which time, God delivered the Ten Commandments and the law. And although we do not know for certain when this psalm was written by Moses, it is believed by some that it could have been somewhere around Numbers 20. In this chapter, we have the death of Miriam, Moses' sister, uh, the incident at the waters of Meribah, in which Moses is told that he himself will not enter the promised land. And then the death of Aaron, his brother. This certainly seems like a particularly low point in Moses' life where he would have prayed this kind of prayer to God. And so now that we have some context, let's look at Moses' prayer. Moses' prayer reads, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By, the, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our ears to to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would help us 
to understand these words written by Moses so long ago. I pray that you would show us the message that not only is in the words, but is but what that is between and within the words. Lord, your your word is so rich and uh, and so refreshing. I pray that uh, anything I say up here uh, that is incorrect or invalid or just flat out wrong would be forgotten, or that it wouldn't even come out of my mouth. God, I pray that you would protect us, um, that we would only hear your truth, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses starts off by saying, that the Lord has been our dwelling place in all generations. The hour refers to the people of Israel, and he states in all generations. He, um, he takes us all the way back to Abraham in all generations. He says, uh, he says that, and uh, so from the moment that they have been a people, ever since God established a people for himself, he, God, has been their dwelling place. The word here for dwelling place is recorded in some manuscripts as refuge. The Lord has been our refuge in all generations. If you think about this word refuge, I think you get a better picture of who God is. Refuge makes me think of a fort, kind of like in uh, 18th century America, the uh, pioneers and the traders, they, uh, they would be out in the wilderness and the, the government and the military would establish these forts out there built out of timbers. And if you're out in native hostile territory with wild animals and all these people that are against you, uh, finding a fort in the wilderness would be a really refreshing thing. Um, And as the gate closed behind you, you would feel the security of the walls around you. You would know that this is a place where you can rest and eat and be at peace. In Psalm 18.2, David says it this way, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. God, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Both David in Psalm 18 and Moses here in our passage are praying the way Jesus taught us in Matthew 6 when he said, give us this day our daily bread. They are saying, God, you are our provider. You give us what we need. Moses continues in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. From forever to forever. If we go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, to creation, we can learn more about God's eternality. The very first words, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. God was in the beginning... Then he created. God has always been. If you skip forward a little, you'll read, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And if we flip forward in our Bibles about 4,000 years, John tells us more about 
the eternal God who created. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This, of course, refers to Jesus as the Word. In the beginning, before there was anything else, there was God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, eternally God, eternally existing in community as the one God. I think it's important for us to look at the Old Testament this way and remember that Jesus, our Savior, is eternal. And therefore, our salvation is eternal. Salvation from eternal punishment, from offending and sinning against eternal God. Verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. He's acknowledging God as our creator and therefore the author of our fate. His reference is to Genesis again, this time chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God, having the power to create, also has the power to destroy. This eternality and omnipotence of God is further laid out in the next four verses. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it, is, it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. God is eternal. We are finite. It is God who causes us to fade and wither. He brings us to an end. We can't stand before the Lord in our sinful state. God breathed life into us and lets us have our next breath. And our next breath and our next breath. According to an article on heraldtribune.com, the person who lives to 80 will take about 672,768,000 breaths in a lifetime. Each one of these breaths is a gift. A gift we don't deserve, and we should be dismayed by God's wrath, especially when it is aimed at us. And what can we do in such a state, in such a dire situation with our God? In the next few verses, Moses continues laying out our desperate state, showing our lack of ability to change our own situation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. He's saying, God, you see everything all our wickedness of heart and mind and deed. Then he says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. We cannot escape our sin or God's wrath. Verse 10, The years of our life are 70, or even by strength, by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. No matter how long our lives are, we are still cursed and exhausted by our own wickedness. And then, we die. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? 
This rhetorical question implies the response, no one. In Matthew 19.25, the apostles asked Jesus, who then can be saved? To which Jesus replies, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Moses knows this, and so he shifts to the reason for his prayer, the ask. Here is Moses begging God for help, starting in verse 12. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Proverbs 9.18 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. How do we number our days and gain wisdom and insight? Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is a prophetic psalm referring to the coming of the Christ. So, daily we remember Jesus and what he has done for us. We live our lives in thankfulness and obedience to God. The Great Commission is something that we could all probably quote verbatim. Matthew 28, 9. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But how many of us can cite the next verse? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The ESV says observe. King James says observe. NIV says obey. NLT, or the New Living Translation, says obey. CSV says to do everything I have commanded. How's that going for you? Are you numbering your days? Are you numbering your days as it concerns your entertainment? Are you numbering your days as it concerns your finances? Are you numbering your days when it comes to your relationships? If you're like me, the answer is probably sometimes. And like Moses, we should be crying out in desperation. Have pity on your servants. Reading this prayer of Moses gives me such greater appreciation for the transfiguration. We read about when Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus and three of his disciples. We find out that God did have pity on Moses because there's Moses still in community with God. And we also know that God took pity on us because of this Jesus that appeared to Moses and Elijah. Because God made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. He died for us. He died for you. In the rest of Moses' prayer, he's asking God to bless them. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, 
establish the work of our hands. If you know Jesus, you've already been given the greatest blessing in the whole universe. So, is it okay to ask the Lord for more? Jesus says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 7. He says, If you abide in me and my words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, does Moses' prayer show that he abides in the Lord? I say yes. He's asking God to satisfy them with his love. He's asking God to glorify himself by making himself known to their children. And he's asking God to establish their work. To establish means to begin. So he wants God to begin their work, and therefore wants their work to be the business of God. If you abide in Jesus and he abides in you, your work will be the business of God. And your righteous prayers will be answered. We're going to take communion together as a family. So if you place all your trust and hope in the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, then please join us. If you don't yet believe or are in unrepentant sin, then I ask that you don't participate. But if that is you, please hear me when I say I am really glad you're here today. And if that is you, please consider as you sit there doing some business with your Father in heaven who loves you. Let today be the day you believe and ask God to save you. And for all of us, let this be our prayer. God, you created us and we rebelled. We still rebel. Remind us again today of your love that you sacrificed your own son for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name.